Hello, and welcome to The Film Degree, the podcast where I finally get to put my film degree to use. My name is Patrick, and today I am capping off my October horror film celebration with an episode dedicated to Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, unfortunately, um, I have not been able to make as many horror-themed episodes this month because, like I've said in previous episodes, my life has gone to shit. And if anyone is listening and contemplating going to grad school, I would just recommend not doing it. (laughs) It is really causing me to almost have a mental breakdown and not I mean I'm having a lot of issues in my life right now that aren't just grad school but grad school is really really stretching me thin (laughs) I feel like I have not even had time to think and if anyone knows me they know that October is my favorite time of year I watching horror movies all October is like a religious experience for me. It's a spiritual experience for me. It is my version of meditation. Last year, I was able to watch over 50 horror films. This year, I don't even know if I've hit 15. Like, I know 15 is a lot for some people, but for me, it is not. It is not enough. And I'm really upset about that. I really just haven't been able to watch as much as I would like to. But I have seen some good things recently. Last night, I watched the original Ring, the Japanese version from 1998, and I was blown away. I loved that one. And I have seen the American remake, the one with Naomi Watts, like once or twice in the past. But it's been a while. So I kind of, after watching that one, I want to rewatch the American version. And that kind of goes hand in hand because in this episode, we're actually talking about not only the 1968 original Night of the Living Dead, but we're also talking about the 1990 remake directed by Tom Savini. So yeah, I might have to do an episode based on The Ring. I'm not sure. But this, I think, will be my last horror episode for quite some time because I just want to do other other projects in this podcast. I, I did create a Instagram um like last week I think um called the username or whatever the handle I don't know what it's called it's film.degree because someone stole the film degree and they were like launching a YouTube channel or something and then never did anything with it so I don't have I don't have the film degree like handle but I do have film.degree and so far it's been fun But I am excited to not post about horror movies for once, kind of do some other things. I think my my, um, next episode will be looking at the first film to ever win an Oscar. But we'll get into that next week. This week is still all things horror movies. And I am very excited for Halloween. I don't do much except watch horror movies all day and... Oof, I really got to get my homework done so I don't have to do any that day or really the weekend. I want to be done by Friday and just enjoy my Halloween weekend and watch my horror movies. I think I'm going to watch um, the Chucky series. I think I'm, I want to try and watch all of them on Saturday and Sunday this weekend, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if that's what my my final choice but I I really think I'm going to. Last Halloween, I watched the Halloween series. So this Halloween, I I think I want to do Child's Play because the new Chucky TV show is so good. (laughs) It is so good. I talked about it very briefly in my slasher episode, but I am having the time of my life watching this new show. It is the funniest, most fun show I have ever seen. And I cannot wait for Tuesday nights. Like, It is so, it's so good. And it's so like (laughs) weirdly positive. (laughs) I just, I, I'm enjoying it. So 
I think I'm going to do child's play and I can't wait. But besides Chucky and blah, 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 I, I just haven't been watching that many horror movies and yeah, it's been depressing, but I am excited to talk about Night of the Living Dead today. I have seen the original a few times. I had to watch it for college, I think for my horror film class, but I have never seen the original 1990 or the, I've never seen the remake of Night of the Living Dead, the 1990 version. I've never seen it until yesterday. I was finally able to watch it. And before we even get into my thoughts on these movies, I do want to say I was very pleasantly surprised. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of the original directed by George A. Romero. I'm not a huge Romero fan in general, but I respect it immensely because it if you don't know, it did create the modern zombie that we know. That zombies did exist before Night of the Living Dead, but they were more rooted in Haitian and voodoo culture and mythology. And now Night of the Living Dead kind of, it didn't kind of, it created what we know today from The Walking Dead or 28 Weeks Later or World War Z. I don't know. I'm not a huge zombie fan, actually, but I do like the 1968 original, and I do like the 1990 remake, but we will get into that. But I do know that my friends who are listening have never seen Night of the Living Dead. I already know it. And if you're listening and you're not my friend and you've never seen it, I'll let you know about the plot. It's very similar in both versions that we're talking about today. They There isn't that much change story-wise. So It starts off with adult siblings, Barbara and Johnny, and they are visiting a cemetery where they are attacked by a man who is attempting to bite them. Now, fortunately for Barbara, she escapes, but (laughs) unfortunately for Johnny, he is killed in the attack when the zombie slash ghoul, they're called ghouls in this movie, kind of knocks him to the ground and he bashes his head on a tombstone. So he does not survive the attack, but Barbara gets away and she finds her way to a seemingly abandoned farmhouse, but soon finds the dead and decomposing owners. And shortly after that, a man named Ben arrives to the farmhouse after also being attacked and he quickly takes charge and together Ben and Barbara board up the doors and windows. But eventually Barbara and Ben discover they are not alone. A group of survivors have been like hiding in the cellar of the farmhouse and these survivors include a young couple named Tom and Judy as well as the Cooper family who is Harry, Helen, and their recently bitten and now sick daughter. But together the group butt heads and egos as they fight over the best course of action to surviving the impending zombie attack. Let's get into the origins of Night of the Living Dead which is arguably the most influential horror film of all time. It all starts in the 1960s with the production company, The Latent Image, which was co-founded by George A. Romero, John Russo, and Russell Striner in Pittsburgh. They developed like commercial and industrial films for workplaces, um, but they always wanted to break out into the movie business. So Romero and Russo and Striner reached out to the president and vice president of the Pittsburgh-based industrial film firm called Hardman Associates Incorporated. Whew, that was a mouthful. But the president and vice president are Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman. They pitched them their horror film, and together, Romero, Russo, Striner, Hardman, and Eastman formed a new production company called Image 10, and they were able to secure the original budget of the film, which was only $6,000. So even back then in 1967 68, $6,000 is not a sufficient amount of money to produce a feature length film. So somehow they were able to raise $114,000. I don't know how they did it, but they were able to do it. And before I go any further, I do want to mention that I got all of this backstory information from Wikipedia. Uh, Most of my episodes in the future and in past will feature Wikipedia very heavily. (laughs) 
But Russo and Romero um, initially wanted to co-write the script to be a horror comedy that they titled Monster Flick. And one of the first drafts just featured like teenage aliens and teenage humans hanging out on Earth. And then a other another script was written, another draft, and it was about a boy who runs away and finds a meadow filled with dead corpses and flesh-eating aliens. But due to budgetary reasons, they realized that they needed to go much simpler. They couldn't even afford to do like fully decomposed bodies because they just had didn't have the funds to make those. So they had to go much simpler. And Romero really latched on to this idea of flesh eaters and thus the zombies we all know and love today were born although again they were not called zombies here they were called ghouls so the script was heavily inspired by the 1954 richard matheson novel i am legend which yes is also the basis for the will smith movie from 2007 Uh, but it was written in only three days And the film was shot on location in Pennsylvania. Much of it was filmed guerrilla style with locals portraying the ghouls as they were covered in Bosco chocolate syrup in place of blood and munching on ham and entrails to imitate human flesh, which this ham and entrails was like donated by a butcher who was cast as an extra to play a ghoul. So they were really working with what they had. And much of the cast had said that Um, They were constantly rewriting uh, scenes on on set and like ad-libbing. So yeah, it was that kind of production. But the most interesting and most important part of this episode is what is coming next. And that is the infamous copyright issue. It is what inspired me to even talk about this film and the remake because the remake happened because of this issue. And it all started with Image 10 not being able to find distribution without having to cut their more gruesome scenes. And these gruesome scenes are what you would expect from a 1968 movie. Like, they're not incredibly graphic. There are people eating, like, raw intestines and ham. But that's about as far as it goes. It's nowhere near what you would see in Saw. It's not even anywhere near what you would see in like a Friday the 13th movie. Like it was, it's very tame for, for this kind of pushback, but this is America and America like lost their shit. And they're like, absolutely not. We cannot have this filth. (laughs) So eventually Columbia and American International Pictures agreed to distribute the film. If the producers agreed to reshoot the bleak ending, but producers, they were like, absolutely not. We're, we shot it how we shot it. This is what we want to do. So finally, the Walter Reed organization agreed to distribute the film completely uncut as long as they changed the original title because the, well, the original title was Night of the Flesh Eaters. And they needed to change it because there was a 1964 film called The Flesh Eaters. Now, this is where things go bad for Image 10. <laughs> Um, because of the title change, the Walter Reed organization failed to place a copyright indication on the new prints. So Image 10 had a copyright notice under the title frames of Night of the Flesh Eaters, but no such indication was on the newly titled film Night of the Living Dead. So immediately the film went into the public domain. And because that it because it was in the public domain, that is why when you're watching a movie or a TV show and the character in the show or movie is watching TV, a lot of times it is Night of the Living Dead because they, it's in the public domain. They don't have to pay for it. And because it's in the public domain, anyone can distribute this movie how they want. So in 2019, Amazon was selling 13 different versions of of the film on VHS, which that means like Um, just someone else put it on a VHS tape and was selling it legally. Uh, 130 different versions were on DVD, 12 different versions were on Blu-ray, and 53 different versions were on Amazon Video. Because of this copyright issue, Romero and his team received little to no profits, and the original film grossed $30 million. They didn't get any of that. The distributors did. So when Romero heard that they were 
there was interest in doing a remake, Romero, Brousseau, and Striner collaborated for the first time in 20 years to develop the remake. So horror horror makeup and effects legend Tom Savini was hired to direct. Tom Savini um, had worked with uh, Romero on the other Night of the Living Dead films, his series. Um, He did Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. And he also worked on films like Friday the 13th Part 1, Friday the 13th Part 4, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Prowler, and The Burning. He is very prolific. If, and if you're a fan of the horror community and the horror genre, you know who Tom Savini is. But overall, Tom Savini described working on the remake as the worst nightmare of his life. And whenever Romero was not on set, he clashed with the producers who did not let him explore his full vision. And the film was a, was unfortunately not the box office success that everyone had hoped. But it was made an attempt to get some of the money that they did not receive from the original um, part of the crew that originally worked on it. it. That's why it was made. Or at least that's why Romero and Russo, Russo and Striner were attached to it because they wanted to get compensated for their work on the original. But before I get into more of the big topics uh, within these movies, I do want to say my overall thoughts. And surprisingly, I like both versions the same. Um, I, I think each one does something better than the other, but one does not stick out more than the other except for the fact that the original created the entire subgenre of zombies uh so yeah they, they are very much to me the same which I, I don't know if that's controversial at all like I know people like the remake usually and had pretty good like I think people just like it but um to say it's better or just as good as the original might be sacrilegious or something I'm <laughs> I'm not sure but the things I liked, I really liked the makeup and effects better in the remake, but I liked the character of Ben in the original more than I did in the 1990 version. Um, I liked I liked the makeup effects in both, and I think they were both very effective, but overall, Savini's design easily, like, easily takes the cake for me. Um, I think, like, the original had that really gross scene of the ghouls munching on some entrails but other than that the makeup was kind of um people with dark rings under their eyes (laughs) this one was much more the zombies we are used to and I liked it I thought they were very well done and I'm not I wasn't shocked that I liked the um the makeup better because Tom Savini was behind it but I really did like that but I also loved what the remake did with the character of Barbara in the remake, but I did not care. I don't really care for the slower pace of the original. It's not a make or break thing for me. I watch plenty of slow older movies. I enjoy them. I fully appreciate and respect the original 1960 version, but it is a slower paced movie. I think the middle is a little bit of a slog at times to get through, but it is what it is. That's just one aspect I didn't love as much but I loved or I really liked the pacing in the remake I thought it was much snappier and um, more frantic I really like that but I do think both of them had their own different tones because they were kind of they were their own thing and I also liked that talking about liking the um, original version of Ben more than the 1990 version and talking about how I like the remake version of Barbara more than the original version brings me to my the big topic within these movies and that is race and gender. So if you don't know the character of Ben was played by the actor Dwayne Jones who is a black man and that is quite um, groundbreaking because it remember it was 1968. I mean even today it we don't get enough representation of black men playing the lead hero of a movie. This was some, a whole other level of just groundbreaking. So Romero states that the casting of Dwayne Jones had nothing to do with race rather than that Dwayne Jones was just the most talented actor for the part. And it was originally written for a white person in mind. And 
this may be true. There may have been like zero political motivations behind this casting, but films are inherently political because they're made within the cultural context of our society. And casting Dwayne Jones completely shifted the narrative, even if they didn't change the script at all, which I don't believe they did. And I I got this the next little bit of information from a Hollywood Reporter article written by Richard Newby, which is a fascinating read. But I do want to mention this whole article was calling the character Harry Cooper as Henry Cooper. So do with that information as you will. But um, I will be citing this article. (laughs) Uh, The structure of the film kind of like leads the audience into believing that Barbara is going to be the hero of the story. It starts with her. It starts with her backstory. We get to know her family. We get to know, um, like we get to know her more. And then we don't really know Ben. Ben just shows up out of nowhere. But instantly when he shows up, he becomes the hero. He takes charge of everything. And even though he is this secondary narrative, he he's even also like, almost reduced solely to like comforting this white woman who has gone into a catatonic state, but he's still this, he's still the leader of the story, which is a very weird way to frame this character of the main character. Like anyway, (laughs) soon after Ben meets Barbara, he slaps her across the face to break her out of like her hysteria, which I can't even imagine what the people in 1968 were thinking when they saw a black man slap a white woman across the face. Like this was um, civil rights movement. Like I just can't, I can't imagine. It's, I don't, I just can't believe it even happened. And I'm sure like it was written when it was originally written, they were like, it was just a white man slapped, slaps Barbara across the face. But since it's not, it is a different story it's a different narrative now um even if in the movie it's not a different narrative to the people watching it is so immediately ben becomes this hero and leader of the narrative even though we know virtually nothing about him in the entire movie and in an interview with new york times jordan peele discussed night of the living dead's influence on his movie get out he said All social norms break down when this event happens and a black man is caged up in a house with a white woman who is terrified. But you're not sure how how much she's terrified of the monsters on the outside or this man on the inside who is now the hero. I think that's such a fascinating quote because if, again, like if this was just written as a, for a white actor, the idea of Barbara being terrified is different because there is this added layer of she is being told what to do by a black man she has been slapped by a black man and even if the actress uh what was her name let me look back judith o'day um even if in her mind when playing this she wasn't even thinking about that it really kind of doesn't matter because again we are looking at this movie within the context of our society This is the lens that people are going to view this movie, especially with it taking place in 1968. So as soon as the Cooper family is introduced and they come out of the basement, we're in, we see just how difficult it is for a white man to ever even listen to a black man in charge. And immediately there is this like power struggle between Harry and Ben And each character seems to kind of represent white America at the time. And I don't even know if I should say at the time, kind of like still today, because even though this took place in 1968, things haven't really changed. Um, So yeah, Harry and Helen Cooper kind of represent this racist older generation of thought, while Tom and Judy represent the hope of the future as they are like this bridge between the Coopers and Ben. So even though Ben, a black man, is the hero of the story, he still, again, spoiler alert, (laughs) he dies in the end. And not just him, everyone in this movie dies. Uh, After Barbara, the Coopers, Tom, and Judy all die at the hands of the undead, Ben survives the night. And as a group of police officers and white Americans are, they show up and they're killing the zombies outside of the farmhouse. 
Ben thinks he is rescued, but he is shot right between the eyes, dead. And it's shocking when you're watching it because you're like, he finally survived this whole thing. He made it. He survived. And the people still view him as a threat, even though he does not look like he is part of the undead. He's holding a gun. He's clearly not a zombie. And they still shoot him in the head. And he just dies. And then the film closes out with these like horrific images of Ben's body being dragged away on hooks. And it looks it looks like pictures of a lynching. It is so graphic. It's it's so it's like I I'm like at a, I'm always at a loss for words when I see it. It is very like bone-chillingly awful. And again, I'm sure that was written in the script and when they were thinking of a white man and we probably wouldn't have thought much of it, but since it is a black man, it has a whole new meaning to it. And I really I love that aspect of the 1968 version. I love what they have to say, even if they weren't trying to, about race and about Ben. And I love Dwayne Jones's performance. And it is something that was severely lacking in the 1990 remake. Now, the remake, Tony Todd played Ben. And I think Tony Todd is a super underrated actor. I have only seen him, I'm sure I've seen him in other things, but the only thing that comes to my brain that I have seen him in is Candyman and I just think he is a fantastic actor and I thought he was fantastic in the remake of Night of the Living Dead but for some reason they changed the narrative of the remake which I do think is interesting and not necessarily a bad thing I really liked the change that they made but I did miss the original what it had to say about Ben which you know, I do think remakes should do something different. They shouldn't be the same thing. So this is a point for the remake, even though I liked this part in the original more. But the remake decides to, instead of focus on racial tensions, it focuses more on this feminist angle. And in the remake, Ben takes almost a complete backseat in favor of Barbara and her story of gaining control and confidence. So in the original, Barbara is like, like I said, she's catatonic in almost the entire movie. As soon as she gets to the farmhouse, she's just like out of it. She's not even, I don't even think she's aware of what is going around her anymore. She's like touching the walls and acting like a crazy person. And she kind of just sits there silently for most of the movie until um, right before she dies, she decides to really, she snaps out of it to help Ben and she is dragged away by the zombie crowd outside the door and she is eaten in this version barbara is nothing like that she is in the 1990 version she is like a fighter she is shooting guns she is doing just as much as ben was in the original if not more like she her and ben are in charge of everything that's going on in this new version like ben is still a leader and he's still a hero in this movie but it's framed more of like we are rooting for barbara she was this quiet woman who was kind of berated by her brother in the beginning and seems kind of meek and innocent and then later she is like killing zombies shooting them left and right and it is it it's interesting but in the end of this in the 1990 version Barbara survives she does not die like the original where Ben is killed after surviving she actually escapes the farmhouse and reaches civilization the same people who in the original came and came and killed all the zombies and Ben she reaches that civilization and when she gets back to the farmhouse with them she finds out that Ben has been turned into a zombie unlike the original film in the original he was not turned into a zombie. He was still himself and he was just shot in the head. In this version, he turns into a zombie and she sees him getting killed. But also unlike the original film, Harry Cooper also survives the night. And when Barbara sees him, she actually shoots him in the head for revenge of the death of Ben. So I was complete. I was not expecting that moment whatsoever. I thought maybe... Um, I had an inkling that Harry survived because in this movie, Harry and Ben and in the original, they are constantly butting heads 
And Harry is not trying, he does not care about anyone else there but his family and himself. Like when Ben needs help, he like to get back into the house after um, exiting, like Ben needs to get back in the house. Harry does not care. He keeps the door shut. He's like, oh, that's kind of not my problem. Like, that's the kind of guy Harry is in this movie. So him and Ben actually get into a shootout in this version, and both of them separate. Harry makes it upstairs after being shot, and Ben makes it downstairs after being shot. Somehow Ben is turned into a zombie. Harry is not. So I had the inkling that Ben would also, or Harry would also make it out of this, as well as Barbara, and that the people the hillbilly people who came out, the rednecks who showed up, were going to shoot him in the head. But Barbara just shoots him in the head. Could not believe it. Absolutely insane. Did not see that coming, but I liked it. It was kind of like a moment where Barbara, I don't know, became her own person, which I guess, I don't know if that needed to be shown by her killing someone, but it it was an interesting take. It was a different take. I liked it. Um, But aside from Barbara, Helen also has this feminist twist with her character. In the original, Helen is very passive towards everyone and her husband. She is a character that clearly did not agree with her husband on some things. And she wanted to follow Ben. She wanted to leave the basement and go upstairs with them. But she stayed quiet and stayed behind her asshole husband. But in the 1990 version, Helen actively defies her husband again and again and actually even like physically fights him like against him like she is there to be with Ben and to get out of there and to save their daughter who has been bitten and while I I enjoy the changes to Barbara and Helen I wish the character of Ben and the weight of the character from the original stayed the same Ben and Dwayne Jones are like legendary because of this movie and even to this day in 2021 we still do not get many movies where a black man is the hero of a story and I would have liked to have seen that again I think that was something that was so special about the original but again it is a remake and it did kind of I I wasn't expecting what happened uh which I think is kind of the whole point of Night of the Living Dead you really I at the time I don't think people knew what they were getting into in fact I know they didn't know what they were getting into because with the original being made before the MPAA, people brought their children to the movie and these kids were used to seeing things like Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon. They were not ready for what they were about to witness. (laughs) Film critic Roger Ebert said this about seeing the film with an audience full of children. The kids in the audience were stunned. There was almost complete silence. The movie had stopped being delightfully scary about halfway through and had become unexpectedly terrifying. There was a little girl across the aisle from me, maybe nine years old, who was sitting very still in her seat and crying. It's hard to remember what sort of effect this movie might have had on you when you were six or seven, but trying to remember at the ki- at that age, kids take the events on screen seriously and they identify fiercely with the hero. When the hero was killed, that's not an unhappy ending, but a tragic one. Nobody got out alive. It's just over. That's all. These kids were not prepared and they weren't prepared for a lot. In the original and in the remake, the little girl, um, Harry and Helen's daughter, who has two different names in the versions in the original her name is Karen but in the remake her name is Sarah she was bitten by a zombie so what do you know she turns into one and in the original she kills her parents <laughs> um little girl she just what I don't even know what she uses it's not like a shovel like a mini shovel it's like um I don't know <laughs> I know nothing about tools but Um, That thing where you like, I've seen it in the movies where they're like laying cement in between bricks and they like smooth it out like that thing. She stabs her mother with it and the American public were not ready. (laughs) I really like that scene. I like the music that they play with it. Although I'm pretty sure the music in the original was just like music that was free for them to use. It wasn't, they didn't pay for it or hire someone to make it because again, there was like no budget, but 
yeah, they were not ready. And also response for or from Variety after the initial release reflects this reflects the outrage generated from Romero's film. They said until the Supreme Court establishes clear cut guidelines for pornography of violence, Night of the Living Dead will serve nicely as an outer limit definition by example. In a mere 90 minutes, this horror film, pun intended, casts serious aspersions on, I don't, is that a word? Aspersions? I don't even know what that means. But on the integrity and social responsibility of its Pittsburgh-based makers, distributor Walter Reed, the film industry as a whole, and exhibitors who book the picture, as well as raising doubts about the future of the regional cinema movement and about the moral health of film. Oh, sorry, the moral health of filmgoers who cheerfully opt for the unrelieved orgy of sadism. I cannot believe, you know what, I can believe it because Americans are so ridiculous when it comes to movies. They are so offended by everything. So like today you hear middle-aged white men being like, oh my God, everyone is so offended by everything nowadays. In my days, it wasn't like that. Yes, it was. You people saw Night of the Living Dead and lost your shit. You were shitting the bed. You were pissing, shitting and vomiting as you were watching this movie because of what? A little girl killer parents like come on that is so crazy unrelieved orgy of sadism <laughs> i just it is crazy how they thought this movie was so disgusting they call it pornography of violence it is if you have not seen it and you choose to watch it it is exactly what you would expect violence wise it is so tame we don't really see much violence in it, um, like on screen. We do see some gunshots into zombies and into, unfortunately, um, Ben. And we see them eating intestines, but that is about it. Also, a little girl is stabbing her mother, but it's off screen. We just see the mother's face. So America has always been sensitive, whether people want to believe that or not, this movie had them had their heads spinning around so the film has actually spawned many different remakes and two different series Romero would go on to make five sequels in his original Night of the Living Dead which would include 1978's Dawn of the Dead and 1985's Day of the Dead he made like three of them in the early 2000s which uh, they look like shit I have not seen them I have heard nothing about them but looking at the poster or looking at trailers it looks like something that came out on the sci-fi network it actually might have I'm not even sure I would not be surprised if those ones did they were they look awful sorry Romero but they look terrible um but also Russo who co-wrote the original would also go on to make five sequels in his own series called Return of the Living Dead and I did not know that that was a continuation of Night of the Living Dead and some I think a lot of people don't consider it canon and consider Romero's version because Romero directed, but um, Russo co-wrote the original. So I think they're kind of like their own canon to the original. And I have never seen The Return of the Living Dead. Um, I would like to. I know that the first Return of the Living Dead movie came out at the same time of Day of the Dead. And there was like lawsuits between Russo and Romero on making Return of the Living Dead. The, yeah, I guess I guess it's a separate series. I will have to see it. I saw some clips of it and it, it looks like a fun time. So I might have to watch it. But due to the film's copyright issues that we mentioned before, it has had countless unofficial remakes and sequels and continuations, including 2006's Night of the Living Dead 3D, 2012's Night of the Living Dead Resurrection, 2015 Night of the Living Dead's Darkest Dawn, so on and so forth. And I'm pretty sure every single version of the movie that has come out since besides the 1990 version is just like the movie you would get in like the $5 bin at Walmart that has like five other movies in it. And they look like they're just sci-fi channel movies. I'm really shitting on sci-fi channel movies. I'm sorry because the new Chucky series is incredible. And the uh, Slumber Party Massacre remake, which I did not realize. Let me backtrack back to my slasher episode when I said this is a huge week for slashers because um, the Chucky series comes out, the Scream, 
uh, trailer comes out, Halloween Kills comes out, and the I Know What You Did Last Summer series comes out. But also that week, I was unaware the Slumber Party Massacre film came out, which was on the Sci-Fi Channel. And unfortunately, (laughs) I did not like it, but the production value was much higher than I was expecting. I was very surprised. Um, So I don't mean to shit on the Sci-Fi Network, but you know what I'm talking about. Like These types of movies look like absolute shit. Um, but since the film's release, it created a the modern take on zombies that we know today and created the blueprint for making an effective and financially successful film on a very small budget, which would continue in the horror genre with 1978's Halloween, 1980's Friday the 13th, and 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Would I recommend the original? Yes. Would I recommend the remake? Also, yes, like I said, both have qualities that I think are better than the other. Um, And I would say I would recommend each to a different audience. I'm not one of those people who is like super, you have to watch the original or like you have to respect the original, whatever. Like if that is not your thing, if a black and white 1968 slow burn movie is not your thing, then I would not recommend it. But I would recommend the 1990 remake if you like a more modern horror movie that is a little bit more faster paced and has some cool makeup effects. I would 100% recommend it. And actually, I would recommend the 1990 version this Halloween because there are few movies that I think really get the feeling of Halloween, like the season, not the movie. They just get that they feel like Halloween and they look like Halloween. And I don't know if that was the intention for the um, the movie. But to me, when I was watching, I was like, wow, this really feels like a Halloween movie. Like, I don't know, the clear blue sky, the leaves, like it was just very, it just felt like Halloween. It was like watching Hocus Pocus or 1978's Halloween. It just felt right for the season. So I recommend it. I really do. Um, But since... The original is in the public domain. You can find it literally just about anywhere. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the internet archive. You can find it on so many different streaming services. So I do recommend it. I think it is so important to film history. It is so important to horror history. And it is a great movie. It has great atmosphere. It has some really great shots. It has some so much great stuff to say. Like I said, even if they didn't mean to say it, they still said it. Um, so I do think it is, it's worth, it's worth the hype. It is worth watching. And yeah, I would recommend it. Well, yeah, that's kind of all I had to say. This might be a little shorter, shorter of an episode. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure how did even time these episodes out? Because I think my Halloween kills episode was like an hour and a half or something, or maybe the other one was an hour and a half. I don't know. But I think the timing of my episodes is all over the place. I need to still figure out what time frame works, what takes the most amount of time. Maybe it doesn't even matter. I don't know. Going forward with this show, this podcast, I do want to look at other things that are not horror I would love to look into um the best picture winners I think that's going to be my next episode um I really would which is wings I'm pretty sure it's wings um it was the first movie to win best picture at the Oscars but I am like struggling to want to watch that because it is like a two-hour silent movie (laughs) that just sounds like hell for me it really does. I've seen silent movies before, The Passion of Joan of Arc and Nosferatu. I like those movies. Um, I really love Joan of Arc. Like that is a great movie, but like a two hour movie about airplanes that's silent. I don't know, but we'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk about the history of the best picture or something. I don't know, but yeah, I would, I'd like to branch out. Um, I have actually recorded this episode before, so I don't know if I have mentioned this in this recording or not, but um, I did make an Instagram and it has the handle of film.degree. I wanted to have film degree or the film degree, but someone had already taken it and didn't do anything with it. 
So if you would like, I would love for you guys to follow me on there on Instagram. Again, film.degree. It has, I just have been posting different pictures of movies and talking about movies and my thoughts. I talked about the Chucky series there. Um, currently it's all horror films. So if someone had fo- someone has followed me at that point thinking I'm just going to be talking about horror, sadly they'll be mistaken because once it's November 1st, I will start branching out. But currently it's all horror movies. So check me out there. I will be posting updates on there and... Yeah, I'm very, I'm excited for the rest of this week. Um, I'm excited to watch some movies this weekend for Halloween and I'm excited for the next episode. Hopefully I can get it up early November, but like I've been saying, I have just been hit in the face with homework and I have like five projects to do. I haven't even started. Ugh. I would like to be more consistent. I'm trying to be consistent with this, but oh, this summer I will be knocking these out. But right now, kind of hard time. I don't know why I decided to launch it at this point. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I have for the future. That's what I have to say about Night of the Living Dead. It is a cultural phenomenon and it is a very good movie. Both versions are good. It was shocking the shit out of some Americans with child killers, which I forgot to mention. <laughs> so the original little girl, she was like a little girl. I don't know how old she was, but the version that they had in the remake of, I think her version was called Sarah. Yeah. Sarah Cooper in the remake looked like an adult dressed up in like a baby doll outfit it was so bizarre did anyone I should have looked at her age because it was like I feel like she was as tall as her dad or something it was really weird it was really really weird but whatever she's barely in the movie anyway But yeah, it was a very low budget movie. I didn't even mention it's so low budget and like they really didn't have resources um, that a lot of the cast was actually just producers like Russell Striner. He played Johnny. um, Marilyn Eastman, she played Helen. Carl Hardman, he played Harry. So it, it was really just people coming together to make a movie, a horror movie. And that is so... That's so cool because it kind of shows that really anybody can make a movie no matter where you are because I live in Michigan and I got my film degree and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do this? I'm never going to make anything. And movies like this kind of just prove that you can. You can do, you don't even need a film degree, but if you got a film degree, make a movie. Who's stopping you besides yourself? George A. Romero was able to do it. Um, along with the entire Image 10 crew. And he made one of the most famous movies of all time and definitely like the most famous horror movie of all time. So it's possible. He created a whole new monster for the world that is everywhere now. We're kind of out of the zombie craze. We had it for we had it for a hot second with um, The Walking Dead. I have seen the first few episode or seasons of the walking dead but here's the thing about the zombie genre this is what this is why i'm not a huge fan of it i would just kill myself (laughs) i don't get why people want to survive the zombie apocalypse like i understand the people in night of the living dead like wanting to survive because they don't know what's going on all of a sudden these like people just start eating people like of course they're trying to survive but once you're in the walking dead what's the point <laughs> what is the point there's no showers there's no tv there's no air conditioning there's no food you have to grow it or find it what the hell absolutely not i was i think i last watched when they were still in the prison or they just broke out of the or they just left the prison that they set up as their home like yeah that sounds so fun let's always be on the run and being sweaty and disgusting like no, I would kill myself. There's no point. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I'm not a huge fan. But I do like Night of the Living Dead. I like how um, I like how it's kind of like the outbreak. And there was a quote I originally had in my outline that I just cut out about I Am Legend and how George A. Romero 
took inspiration from that and how it was like the beginning event. He wanted to go from the beginning of it. So yeah, I do think that is interesting in a zombie movie, but having it be the apocalypse, motherfucker, I'm going to shoot myself in the brains myself. I am not, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking a shit outside. Flat out not doing it. Sorry to the Walking Dead fans. Although I'm not sure. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know. I can't believe that show is still on. I don't, I remember in high school, everyone was obsessed with it. It was like right when it came out. And then I don't know anyone who watches it anymore. I think everyone stopped when like the dude with the baseball bat showed up, right? Or am I wrong? I don't know. Maybe it's still big. But if you're a fan of Walking Dead, you can thank George A. Romero and John Russo and Russell Striner. So yeah, <laughs> I love how I was like, that's all I have to say. And then I went on like another 10 minute tangent. Anyway, that is all I have to say. So thank you for listening to me ramble about Night of the Living Dead. And thank you for letting me talk about horror movies this month. And hopefully I can do more um, within next month. Like hopefully I can do more episodes than just three. And if anyone wants to suggest a movie or something, pop over to my Instagram. I don't have that many followers. I think I have like 22 followers or something on it. Oh, before I forget, like last week or something, I looked at my analytics on Apple Podcasts only. I didn't look at Spotify. But we hit 200 listeners, which is so cool. I really did not expect anyone to listen besides my five friends that I made listen and I don't even think some of them are still listening to new episodes so to have 200 listeners is so cool so if you're one of those 200 obviously because you are listening and made it this far Jesus (laughs) thank you for listening it is so cool and like 200 like it's not a lot I guess to other people but again I wasn't expecting it so thanks for listening and I hope I continue to grow and do better and um figure out this show the best I possibly can so yeah thank you for listening for this episode and the past 200 um 200 on three episodes is pretty fucking cool if you ask me so I'm very happy with how this is going so far so yeah thank you and you will hear from me next hope oh. <laughs> I don't want to say next week, hopefully next week with the very first Oscar winner wings and pray for me, pray that it isn't a pile of shit. And (laughs) I was going to say, um, you should check it out before I do it. So we can like have a conversation together, but like, I don't know if anyone wants to watch a two hour silent movie about planes. I don't know. Maybe I'll be blown away. Maybe I'll be blown away. We'll see. You'll hear it from me in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you'll hear from me again. Bye.